Welcome to episode 195 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. We have so many great things to talk about that I will be brief in my little introduction today, but I did want to share that um, I have many times during the school year where I get a new student that's unlike any of the students I have so far on my caseload, and I have to, on the fly, come up with things that are going to work for the student. And the one that I have currently is coming mid-year and from another country speaking another language and actually is non-speaking right now. Um, so I had to quickly find some things that were in, also in Spanish and in English and that they could interact with using maybe some, you know, low-tech AAC or building some of those core vocabulary. And so I turned to Boom Cards always and Bilingual Speechy had some great ones for core vocabulary that had sentence strips and lots of moving parts. Um, and I was also able to uh, copy the link uh, Boom Cards does have a way that even if the other people have not bought that particular Boom Card, you can send them a fast link, I think it's called. And then they're able to click on that link for two weeks and use the same Boom Card that you were using. Um, and that's a way that I could send it to the aides that are working with her other times of the day to work on the same things. Um, so that is a great one if you're trying to look for some AAC options for um, our bilingual students. That sounds like a great resource. That's yeah. always a challenge of getting good, good materials for those kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, on speaking of a good resource, um, we <laughs> have someone very special joining us today on this episode. We have AC Goldberg and AC is going to talk about some issues about diversity, but also especially we're going to dig into uh, issues related to transgender people and and how we can serve them better and be more knowledgeable about uh, some of the challenges there that they right. sometimes face. So yeah. we'll hear from AC. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, AC, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Let's start with your background. How did you become a speech-language pathologist? Well, um, I was studying anthropology, and I, I kind of fell in love with linguistics. And as I was coming up on graduating from my undergraduate program, I had gone through a, uh, a teacher program as well um, to become a licensed elementary middle school teacher. Um, so I thought, you know, how can I combine my interest in language and culture with 
maybe something like a stable job, like a teacher has. Um, and I did really like working with kids, but um, I entered SLP sort of on a whim, just thinking, okay, well, this sounds interesting. Um, and it's something that I feel like I could do to combine all the skills that, um, that I have. Um, and that was sort of the, the leap into the profession for me. That's, and so how did you, um, what was some of those first experiences that maybe really brought you into the field? Um, well, honestly, it was, like I said, it was kind of like a whim. I just, just a whim. I, I, yeah, I just was like, what can I do? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna apply to some, this sounds like an interesting profession. I'm mm -hmm. just gonna apply to some graduate programs, um, because I would like to have, um, you know, some kind of, some kind of, uh, profession that is interesting to me in a way that, um, I didn't feel like I had gone through the teaching program so that I could have a job right out of college. Um, right. but I didn't feel like that was what I, what I wanted to do. I didn't see myself as a classroom teacher, um, right. nor did I even see myself working in a school, which is funny that I wound up, um, <laughs> working in, in schools for so many years, but, um, I was comfortable. I, I've always been comfortable working with kids. So. And so that, uh, so after grad school, uh, as finishing your, your master's in, in speech, where did it take you from there? Um, well, that got really rocky for me, actually, Todd. Um, okay. I wanted to be a medical SLP. Um, and so I got a fel clinical fellowship at a really prestigious plate hospital. I had done really well in school, but um, I was also transitioning at the time from, you know, um, people calling me using she, her pronouns to people calling me using he, him pronouns. And mm -hmm. I kind of had this double life situation going on in graduate school. And then after graduate school, I was like, I got to just, you know, actually do live as myself. Um, and sure. it was very difficult for me entering into the medical profession arena in 2004 as a trans person. I faced mm -hmm. a lot of discrimination um, in hospitals. And then I faced a lot of just employment discrimination in general. Um, not even, I, I went to a few different hospitals and experienced discrimination, um, and like direct, um, abusive conduct toward me, which I don't know if your listeners want to hear details about, but I'm happy, happy to talk about. And I, uh, went to, and had a couple of experiences in schools where I also had, um, issues with discrimination I then wound up um, in uh, the schools that I stayed in. Um, in spite of some issues with discrimination there, it was just less bad than other places. I landed there mm -hmm. in 2007 um, after a bunch of very negative experiences else in other places. Um, and I stayed until, um, well, I left to um, pursue um, voice practice um, during the pandemic. Um, and then returned for a year because we had moved internationally and it was a poor time to move internationally. Um, sure. Went back to that same school district for a little while. And now um, I'm a professor, um, but which has been, which has been great so far. Um, but the um, things that I've been doing on the side have really been sustaining me because I've always been someone who's had a private practice. Um, mm -hmm. Even, um, you know, kind of as I was dealing with all of that workplace, you know, um, abuse and mistreatment and discrimination. Um, 
I, um, I made lots of connections with people who I could work with locally and had a private practice from like maybe the moment I got my C's. Um, and I kept that up until I had kids. And then I took a few years off from that and then started a consulting business um, talking to people about working with trans and gender nonconforming people in medical settings, because if what I experienced as an employee was any indication of how providers were treating patients, um, was not something that I felt like I could, I could, I couldn't stay silent. I couldn't not try and do something about what I was seeing on the inside because it was so just violent, dangerous. Um, the way that providers were were treating me and the way that they would talk about and regard um, their trans clients. So I started giving lectures um, and continuing education in the medical sphere in around 2012. Um, I would go to a medical school here, a speech language program there, just talking about what it is to work with, you know, trans and gender nonconforming people, not just like as a voice provider, but just as a human being um, who will encounter transgender people at some point in your life. Um, that's something that I started doing instead of private practice. It takes up a lot of time, a lot of energy. Um, and, you know, as I was doing that alongside of everything else I've been doing, um, I found a nonprofit called the Credit Institute because educating in my own issues was one thing, but I really started studying healthcare disparities. And there's obviously direct parallels with all of the healthcare disparities that are experienced by minoritized people, um, you know, across the, across, you know, this country and all, uh, all the countries that you can name where, you know, there's diversity within the population, there's always bias. Um, and there's always bias against um, trans and gender nonconforming people very specifically in medical settings. But, you know, there's obvious systemic racism and obvious, things that need to be dealt with. And the Credit Institute um, is a continuing education and consulting nonprofit that is really about intersectional education. I don't just cover things about um, trans issues. I hire um, people of lived experience. Um, well, I don't really, I, I, was, I hire them. Well, I really bring them on um, because once they have something like a lecture that lives in credit, they're paid every time that lecture is listened to, not like other CEU platforms. Um, where people get paid maybe once for a contribution. Um, I want people to actually be paid for the work that we do because it is, <clears throat> excuse me, it is so much work um, to educate people while you're also experiencing mistreatment. Um, it's, it's harder work than private practice. Um, and it's also, you're up against a lot of people who don't necessarily believe what you're saying because they don't want to change the way they've always done things. Sure. So let's, let's dive a little deeper because I think, um, I think it's important for speech language pathologists, anyone in allied health, anyone real, any professional, <laughs> but especially uh, in allied health, what is it that we're missing uh, right now? Uh, you know, I can, I can see that, Certainly, uh, transgender issues have certainly become more, people have become more knowledgeable, but doesn't mean that we're finished, <laughs> that everything is good. I mean, because obviously people are, are still experiencing discrimination. We still have issues with DEI, you know, in the news and all these state legislatures passing, you know, anti-DEI stuff. 
Um, so let's start with what do you think speech language pathology needs to do to to improve services for individuals who are transgender? You know, I think that every single person needs to learn directly from transgender people about things like being respectful of names, pronouns, um, <clears throat> excuse me, giving, having representation of um, gender diversity and diversity within like family and relationships in your materials and making sure that your intake forms are sensitive to people um, of different experiences. Um, all of that is very, 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 very relevant for everyone. And people don't realize that it's relevant for them because they're like, I work in a school, like, you know, uh, if like, you know, uh, or they'll, they'll say, I work in a school, I'm not like in charge of, you know, intake forms. And, you know, I'll go with my district's policies about, um, you know, how to how to work with trans people. I mean, some of those policies are in violation of, of ASHA and also other regulations like Title IX that protect um, trans kids, you really actually have to learn what you're doing. Um, because a lot of these, a lot of these like local ordinances that are um, coming into play, if somebody complained and won and you were named in that complaint, you'd be liable. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of that, that, you know, people are very scared now about like, what if I engage in gender affirming care? So this is funny. I was, I was giving a lecture to a group of um, early career audiologists, um, a really wonderful group of people. And they were scared about that. They were like, <clears throat> you know, what if my, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the voice therapist after the day, um, what if I accidentally, um, you know, break a state, a, a local ordinance. Like I live in, you know, Missouri or I live in, in, in Florida, Texas, something like that. And Utah, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing. Utah. Audiologists don't provide gender affirming care. Right. Right. So I was like, you don't actually have anything to worry about. Affirming someone's gender is not gender. It, it is life-saving potentially, but it is not categorized legally as gender affirming care anyway. Right. Like calling someone the right name and pronouns when you're with them um, is not a violation of any law. I mean, that's like a, it, it's just a private interaction. Like it's actually like, you know, protected under HIPAA. Like right. there's no, like you being, showing someone basic human decency is not going to get you in trouble with, with the state. But, you know, if you then were to, um, were to go outside of that space and violate a law, then that that would be something different. But you know, when you're with someone, it's very important that that person know that you respect them, um, because if if they don't think that you respect them, they're not going to follow a treatment plan. They're not going to enjoy their time with you. You're just gonna. Everyone's going to have a bad time. Very true. Yeah. And I think I've seen, um, I work in a high school, one of the places that we, I work, and there's some kids that are, are in that space of, you know, um, thinking about transitioning or transitioning or undecided and want to go by they, them pronouns. So I think, you know, when we work in schools and we think, oh, this doesn't affect me, it definitely, definitely does. Mm -hmm. and yes, exactly. Some, and I think, you know, being 
interaction specialist, I feel like sometimes is a better name for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Pathologists. Um, what's some things 100%. that we can do where, to like educate model for other staff? Cause I've been in IEPs where I was the only one, at least I'm, I still struggle with it, but at least trying to use the student's pro- chosen pronouns. Oh, when I mean, nobody I would else in the room was <laughs> straight up go and be like, I don't, I don't, you know, care to need to know your personal opinions about use of they, them pronouns, but let's like, let's all just practice. We're going to have a conversation about Sam using they, them pronouns, and we're going to get it right because we all need to practice. And like, you know, if someone gives you a problem about that, be like, you know, I just, I feel like it's the right thing to do. And, you know, we, we have to try, we have to be better because we know what the statistics say. We know, we know what the data says. The data says that the use of someone's chosen name and pronouns across any setting reduces the risk of suicidality by 71%. Right. That's all. Right. We have a, a lot of data, a lot of data. Yep. Yep. Yes. And that's what I've, I've shared with, you know, family members and things like that, that I've said, I don't, I really do not care what my personal opinion is about it my religious, personal, anything opinion about it. If I call them their name and it keeps a kid from wanting to commit suicide, if it it keeps them alive, like the bare bare minimum that we can do as human beings is keep, is keep each other alive passively. Like, you know, like with not doing that is engaging in an act of harm. And like, we all have, we all have values and we all, I, I don't think any of us wish to engage in acts of harm. So, you know, why would we actually do it then? Yeah. Yeah. And I do like how you worded that of like inviting them to practice with you and not acting like it's. Oh yeah. That, don't act like a jerk. Yeah. About it. Everyone, yeah. if you're good at using they, them pronouns and other people aren't like, just like ask people if they want to practice with you they will because people are like i have trouble doing that i'm i'm having a hard time with it i can't do it like be like it's hard for me too or it was hard for me too it's just practice like just show them it's just practice like anything else like how fast are people to call mrs smith mrs or miss smith mrs jones when she gets married very fast yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they may maybe mess up a few times and then they hear it and it's reinforced and everyone gets it right. Yeah. The nice thing about telepractice too, is I, they can't see my yes. side of the screen. So I have often put a big sticky note on my screen that says they, them before every <laughs> meeting with this student, I'm putting that. That's up. awesome. So it helps me remember that too. Cause it's, it's just something that you need practice with. You know, there's a whole other angle to, to, um, me kind of being on a telepractice podcast that I want to talk mm. about actually for a second, because sure. I have been providing gender affirming voice care um, via telehealth for years. Mm-hmm. And, and um, <clears throat> if you're a private practitioner and you want to take a course and learn how to do this, I offer one at the credit Institute. It's called the trans voice elective. You can actually get graduate credit for it, but that's not necessary for anyone who um, doesn't need graduate credit. Um, but it's, it's a boatload of CEUs. It's like 50 CEUs just because it includes, you know, reading a 
textbook um, and uh, taking some asynchronous courses. And then you get a workshop with me um, and you learn how to how to provide these services from intake all the way through actually, you know, providing the treatment and, you know, thinking about discharge and referrals and things like that. Um, the, the trans community really appreciates telehealth. Uh, because it reduces yeah. barriers. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it, this, this podcast, you know, I feel like I want to talk to all of you about, you know, how, <laughs> how we can, you know, be our best selves with every single person we serve. But I also want to tell you that there's a special utility to telepractice for trans people in that it reduces barriers. We don't have to go interact with anyone aside from you. You're right there. There's no front desk. There's no check-in. There's no commute there on public transportation when maybe we're not feeling safe. There is no getting dressed in clothing that maybe we don't feel comfortable in, or maybe um, that constricts our ability to have enough air to produce a voice of a loud enough volume to work on. Um, there's none of that when you're on telepractice. Um, it's much more comfortable. And some people obviously prefer an in-person interaction, but this is a telepractice podcast, so I'm going to talk about telepractice. Like <laughs> sure. this service does happen in person, but but offering telehealth services for a lot of things has been just a gut and for trans people it's so here i would agree and i mean i i see we have had and we and i think we still have on our at the university of akron where i am uh in our university clinic we've had some students on campus who are uh transgender come into our our clinic uh to you know work on voice and uh and just to see them once they walk in the door, um, what a sense of relief they are because they feel like to a degree that now they're safe. They got into a place that's comfortable and safe. Yeah, yeah no, I, right. I love that. I mean, that yeah. it speaks volumes to the work that you're doing there. And also um, it shows you how necessary having places like that is. Um, Todd, I'm going to do something mm-hmm. annoying and consultanty to you, and then we're going to have a conversation about it. I noticed that you're using um, person first language rather than identity first language. You're saying, you know, person who is transgender. Do mm-hmm. you do you do that for things like, you know, um, person with a disability, person with autism, things like that also? Sometimes. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to you because this is a fun learning um, sure. moment. Communities now prefer identity first language. This goes mm-hmm. for autistic people, transgender people, disabled people, etc. Mm-hmm. Everyone is different, so some people might have different preferences. Sure. But overall, the the you know, quorum has spoken. Um and and people prefer identity first language. So I will invite you to say transgender person um, okay. and disabled person um in this space and practice using identity first language. Thank you for the reminder. I appreciate that. Oh, um, it's no problem. I talk my, about um, this. This is like one point yeah, that right? I make in webinars sometimes. Mm-hmm. Of doing that. Yeah. That's interesting because even my fourth grader came home the other day and they have a program for disabled children in her school. And she's um, always been a sweet girl to ha- jump in and help with those kids. And she came home saying the same thing that she's yeah. like, they're kids first, mom, they're kids first. And then they have disabilities, which is what I feel like we grew up or went to school through thinking. But, um, I think, you know, it's when it's part of their identity versus just like 
an added thing onto them, I I think that we have to listen to them and not mm-hmm. just like the ones that the tradition that we've come up with or the way right. that things swing from one side to the other. Yeah, I mean, I think that like we, I put it to people like this, especially when we're talking about like being autistic. Most people who are most autistic people say, and you heard me, I just corrected myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I almost said most autistic Mm -hmm. people who are autistic, but um, most autistic people say they want to be called an autistic person, not a person with autism, because it harkens sort of this image of a person holding like a a, a puzzle piece briefcase, which people don't like the puzzle pieces either. They're not a puzzle. Um, You know, that like somebody has to solve them. Like it's just Mm -hmm. being autistic. is just like another, another totally normal way to be. Um, And, you know, I think that, um, people are not necessarily carrying these, these things with them. They're integral to who they are. Um, mm-hmm. I have a physical disability also. So, you know, like I'm disabled and transgender and intersex actually. Um, and all of these things are not like a whiff. They're a, they're an ant. And um, when I think about this and I talk about, you know, people saying this person, you know, has autism, um, they have autism, she has autism. Um, mm-hmm. I say, you know, well, we would never say like somebody has lesbianism. We would say, you know, right. um, so we're, we're going to say, you know, um, she is a lesbian, she is autistic. And those things, you know, make a lot more sense um, to not sort of have a, have a whiff. Um, and I, I mean, I, I personally really like identity first language because I feel like it's powerful for people. And um, yeah. I completely respect people who are like, that's not my identity. And I wouldn't put it first. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like everyone's different. But, you know, there's sort of the community majorities. And I agree, like, I would rather be called a transgender person than a person who is transgender. <clears throat> because it's like all, you know, I am all of my parts. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, um, that's interesting, because that came up in an IEP meeting that I was in recently, where a teacher said that this, um, this particular student is very, like, vocal about, like, labeling his disability as he sees it. And, but the teacher mentioned that he was almost starting to use um, autistic or autism as an adjective in a not great way that he felt disparaging about it. And it's a school where there is a, it's a technical high school. So we have a high population (laughs) of kids that um, Uh, that's interesting because (laughs) obviously like, that's not innate to who he is to feel negatively about being autistic. No. That's yeah. messaging that yeah. he's gotten over his life about yeah. who he and is. And I can't tell That's where terrible. it's coming from. I know it's hard. It's hard. And I've, I've met mom and dad. I don't think it's coming from parents or just, it could have come from the education system in general. But one thing that I've thought of doing, and I'd love to get your opinion about it is I know that there's that trend going around um, on social media where it's kind of like you label something like I'm a mom, of course I'm gonna something like that. that, That's a format. Yeah. Yeah. And doing it with my students of like, I have autism or I'm autistic. However, they prefer to say it. I'm autistic. Of course I'm going to, and come up with some positive things that go and finish that sentence. Um, and maybe or just making it. sure that they know that all the things that they do are, right. are inherently positive. Like, of course, right. I'm going to have my favorite stim toy with me. Of course, I'm going to info yes. dump 
you know, on you <laughs> about snails. Of course, I'm going to like all the all the really cool things that autistic yeah. people, you know, do and have and are yeah. that they, you know, have every right to be proud of that society has shamed them out of right. expressing. You right. know, we and really want that- to empower people to share yeah. those things and yeah. feel comfortable and I- with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I love too that there are like examples out there now that I can point towards for my students and be like, see, this is what other people are saying about being autistic. And you can you you can find those things too that, you know, they just are you. They're not good, bad, they just are you. But there's also really good memes of that format that are like, I'm autistic. Of course everyone thinks I'm flirting with them because I don't know how much eye contact to make and I'm mm-hmm. smiling because I'm mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And those might be also equally as validating for those students right. to watch. Like those things are really I mean I I I'm neurodivergent also. I have inc- I including myself, I have watched some very helpful TikTok on <laughs> the things that I experience. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, I always just thought that that was like me or like weirdness or like a, a, a quality that I possess that like is just unfavorable. Right. And like not part of like a pattern of a neurodivergence. And I think that, you know, it's very validating to to see examples of that and i think it's great yes there is tons of representation now of autistic people in the media i think that we also want to be including representation of transgender people right. and non-white people and yes. other types of relationships you know today i went instagram hated me today and i'm going to tell you what i made a post about valentine's day and i was like stop censor centering um cis heteronormativity on valentine's day especially if you work with children like it's just you know, it doesn't include everyone and it makes a lot of kids uncomfortable. Even if they're cisgender and heterosexual kid, like eight-year-olds being forced in their schools to give out hearts to other kids, like feels funny to them. Like, because it's like a love holiday and like, I, I don't even understand it. It's like, you know, where it's like commercial romance. Like it's yeah. just, it's not, I and even know. like you know and they have been gender neurodivergence yeah even gender conforming things too on like i oh uh, yeah gender conforming things like my daughter last night was like wanted to pick out or the other night wanted to pick out her valentines and she's like well i want princesses but i can't give them to the boys and i'm like why not <laughs> yeah but that's the thing like my kids like they both got ones that had like kind of corny jokes on them like you have a pizza my heart um don't you want to hang out with me or so like like silly things um i mean they're they're seven and eleven i don't know what my 11 year old knew about oh he's this poor kid i can't wait to hear about valentine's day um (laughs) but it's like my seven-year-old was like do i really have to give this person a valentine they're really mean and they're mean to so-and-so and -and Mm so-and-so is my friend and i'm like um yes sorry like, because he shouldn't be made to give a Valentine that's like, you know, hey, you're cool to a kid who he's like, this kid is very mean to my friend. Like, it's just, yeah. it's like this forced fake interaction for no reason. And like, I don't even understand the like centering of this. Um, it, like, it's very white culture. Um, <laughs> it, like, yes. Very much. white culture. I mean, 
it, it, well, and the like cis heteronormative, like normative privilege, privilege that mm-hmm. some people have on Valentine's Day and some don't, but like just even like people, adults on this day kind of like pressuring kids into like thinking about like a cis heteronormative life that they may not feel comfortable like expressing that they don't want to lead or like you know my my post on instagram was really about asexual and aromantic people and how like this day is completely lost on them i mean all commercial holidays are lost on me i just don't understand them um so it's this isn't specific to valentine's day but this one gets me in a way that others don't because i feel like it's a very artificially enforced thing to do to children i understand if adults want to have like a romance celebration day whatever like that's fine um and i'm also someone who feels like very much that we should share things with children about you know um relationships and sexuality and things like that so you know it's funny that i because i just i don't know this is a funny tangent but it is valentine's day and i'm just going to (laughs) call attention to the fact that I, i it's because i've seen a lot of insensitive valentine's day rituals in schools in my almost 20 years I spent in schools, you know, like kids getting math problems about, you know, like if these two people get married on this date and have, you know, two children a year for this many years, like, and those children have this many children, how many children will be in my kingdom? You know, it's just like, I can't, <laughs> like, I don't even That really sounds understand. like a Utah question. It does <laughs> sound like Utah. math here. Yep. But like... <laughs> I've seen things like that in Massachusetts and I'm like, what is this? Like, what are we, like, what are we teaching? You know, like not everyone wants to picture themselves like that, but also not everyone wants to engage in the ritual. I feel like there's a lot of layers of like, you know, consent violation with this day specifically <laughs> that happened to children. Like everyone's getting cards from people that say things like, I love you. And they're like, Oh God, like That's, this is uh... weird. Yeah, my nephew, my sister, right before we started podcasting, said that my nephew came home and said, Mom, I did something so embarrassing today, and I don't want to talk about it. And then he handed her the Valentine that he had had to make at school where he's blowing her a kiss, and that was the embarrassing thing that he didn't want to talk about. Oh my God. I can't so, wait to talk to my kids. I'm going to be sitting, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking to you, and then I'm going to walk in the house and ask them everything about their day. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, even I, things I, like that, I think at Orin, um, when we have, you know, teenagers that are in weird places and you have the, you know, just like weird trying to figure out how they feel about life and everything. And then you have like people passing out roses and did I get a rose or didn't I get a rose? And I remember going home crying in middle school because oh, I, I didn't get a rose. So I was oh, very yeah. grateful that my kids middle school was just like, you can hand them out to your friends if you want to, but we are not having anyone called down to the office to get something. <laughs> Just oh, yeah. no, we're not doing that. Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> even. I mean, we used to do that in my high school. Oh, yeah. um, I to- I prepped my eleven year old. I was like, "Listen, buddy, <laughs> if people tomorrow like." ask you this happens in like his after school teen club i was like if they ask you things like if you like someone i was like just be very nice to them and if they're like do you like that person you could i was like just be very nice about it people are very sensitive on this day and he was like oh god i know and i was like sorry like it's just something we have to endure (laughs) like why why are we doing this 
Very good points. Very good very points. Good. Very time timely. <laughs> yes. So AC, I want to ask you a question. So <laughs> sorry, I brought us I brought us off the rails because it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Reevaluate hey, your practices. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, so here's here's my question. So this is the thought question. Uh, so you've you've now been, let's see, you've now been made um, king of the world, um, and you can decree five things you want society to do, and they have to do it. Everyone has to do it. They have to conform. How would you how would you make the world better? No more guns no more weapons well yes yes i i'd agree with like, that that that's the that's the top top of the list sure no more prisons okay um i mean like this is gonna like we're just gonna descend into anarchy really quickly with this line of questioning with me <laughs> um do we want to be more specific <laughs> well, I think, you know, I guess my 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 thoughts were about asking you this is how how to make um how to make the world better for for people who for transgender people. Ooh, nice job with the language. And okay, so if I could believe a magic wand, yes. I would I would just I would get rid of like the misinformation. Mm -hmm. There's so much misinformation being spread by the Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, and they're funding all of these groups that are, you know, Moms for Liberty. Uh, like all of these groups are spreading misinformation. I would undo the misinformation and remove from power people who are unwilling to actually look at the data um it's you know it's very scary that <clears throat> we have people who are you know completely have no lived experience making laws about our bodies like you know what bathroom we can go in and what medications we can take like it doesn't make any sense we don't regulate anything else like that so i would i mean i would go in and make everyone educated um and i would remove the misinformation I think if we did that, yeah, I agree. We can better educate people from the beginning. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's going to lead to a happier world. Yeah, the the misinformation is really it's really tragic. The New York Times keeps running misinformation pieces that keep getting cited in legislature. They keep within twenty four hours of their last um, anti trans opinion piece which was about detransition, which I like to reframe as retransition because like, why should that even be like a bad thing? Why should somebody transitioning and then deciding that it's not right for them be a bad thing or be like something horrific? The care that they require is still gender affirming care. And also only 1% of people go through that. 1% um, of 1% is, you know, we're talking about a number of like a couple hundred people kind of ever who have gotten to like a stage of even accessing this healthcare because it's so hard to access. Um, I would, you know, wave a magic wand and give them the amount of press that they 
deserve proportionally because their stories need to be told too, because they need access to the same supports that trans people need in order to make themselves, you know, feel comfortable and aligned in their gender. If it's changed, if it's changed to something that it once was, if it's something completely different, um, everyone needs access. But I would give kind of equal amount of airtime to the 99% of people who are very happy. Um, Actually, the largest survey ever um, of trans people in the United States just came out. Almost 100,000 people took it. I took it. Um, And 98% are more satisfied with life after transition. You know, that's a lot of people. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think um, with that, along with that, I think we've recently seen in my home state, which I'm not always proud of, (laughs) some laws come up again for um, transgender people playing sports, um, using bathrooms. And the things that have happened as a result of that are things that I think that people didn't foresee and should have. Um, we've had a member of the state school board who questioned a female, a biologically female student's oh, gender God. I on saw Facebook. That. She's, under prote- she's under protection now. Yeah. On that Facebook student- said that. Is, is under that student is living under protection now because right. people want right. to enact violence against her and she's not even transgender. And yep, yep. And like, so now, now we have, or you have people like coming, they've just talked about that, um, you know, if you're saying that you have to use the bathroom, that is your biological um, sex, and you have someone coming into the bathroom who appears to be male and you can't tell them to leave, how dangerous that can be as well. Oh yeah. It's just like, like it, if it's I all walked this into fallout. your bathroom, right. if I walked into your bathroom, you would want to be like, excuse me. Right. And like, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, I didn't mean to violate your space, you know, but like also bathrooms could be made. I mean, universally bathrooms could be made a lot more private so that they could all be all gender multi-stalled. Mm-hmm. Like if we just had floor to ceiling stalls, everyone can wash their hands together. That's right. We, I, like, in, I completely understand yeah, exactly. everyone. I was in London a couple summers ago and that's what it was. It was one bathroom and everything was its own stall. And then we wa- you washed your hands together and it was fine. It, nothing bad has ever happened as a result of people sharing a bathroom. I mean, everyone has a gender inclusive bathroom or a gender neutral bathroom. I always say a bathroom can't be neutral. It's, it's inclusive. Like, you know, the bathroom doesn't have a gender it's not gender neutral. It, it, it's, I mean, you know, it doesn't have gender. Anyway, um, everyone has a gender inclusive bathroom in their house. You have an all gender bathroom. You already have one. Yeah. You use one every day. <laughs> There's nothing scary about it. Right. So it's a single person unless you right. have children and cats. Yeah. yeah. In which case it could <laughs> be like a multi-species situation. <laughs> yeah. But I just think that there's like, fallout that people think that they're fixing one problem and they're causing a million other problems like do we really want uh, they don't teenagers? even understand i know like, teen yeah teenagers proving what gender they are before they can play on a sport like it's i it's mean terrible it, like that well those bills have already hurt more more like i want to say tra- more cisgender women than transgender women because there aren't that many transgender women playing sports but now all cisgender women's bodies are being policed like yeah. And I mean, this just goes to show how little power women have in these situations, because I do believe that the vast majority of female voters would be like, this is not that big of a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Like, 
you know, it like I just don't think that women are as transphobic. I mean, I know that we have big ones like JK Rowling, but like I just think that like if you polled, you know, all the high school girls in Utah and were like, Do you care if there's a trans person on your volleyball team? Like most of them would be like, not at all. Right. And that's right. another thing where I feel like the media could give some equal timing to equal information sharing too oh yeah i mean i mean and there's so much misinformation even in the stories of people like when leah thomas was swimming and there was all that misinformation about her like being first like she you know she wasn't winning every single race she wasn't you know she she wasn't outperforming people to a degree that actually like did like mattered to anyone else she was just doing her own personal best and like i i really didn't like take the spotlight from anyone um and yet you know we wound up in a situation where she was like subject to all of that like horror i mean i just i feel so bad for transgender college athletes like they just can't catch a break with the media. Like, and it's just like, why does it have to be a big deal that, that someone's transgender? Like it just, like, we just don't even have to talk about it. You know, that they made a non-binary category in the New York marathon, a guy named Kai, or I'm sorry, a person named Kai. I don't know if they would want to be called the guy. They ran in it. They won. They were not given the prize money. They were promised. They looked at the rules that they had like screenshots of, and they'd been promised a, a prize. And so they emailed and they, the, the race retroactively changed its policy not to issue um, a monetary, a monetary prize to them, even though it had been originally listed. And that's like one of the reasons why they ran the mayor. Like people are just being like completely bizarre about trans people right now. And I think that as much as I'm happy that, there's more education and like things have advanced in some spaces. I feel like being the center of so much scrutiny brings a tremendous danger. Like even the fact that like audiologists are afraid to call people the right name, because what if they're giving gender affirming care? Like, you know, 20 years ago, if somebody went into a space and was like, you know, call me, you know, call me a different name in here, you know, call me bill, please. Like somebody would have been like, okay, bill, and like not really thought about it but now it's like oh now i have to actually think about this and like it's just i don't know i don't know if it was better or worse but like things they're definitely more dangerous now than they used to be Hmm. that's hard i was that was going to be my other question is is it getting better or worse oh much worse and there's been like media about it like we're just in more danger and like um and a lot of that comes from being debated um by like everyone it's not just you know politicians like all of these opinion pieces make their way into like people's like family discussions and like that's happening in front of transgender people so like if that happens listeners if that happens in front of your family if like a family discussion starts going on about like should we include transgender people in sports yes the answer is yes always side with the transgender people and shut down the argument because you do not know who at that table is transgender. And like you, you want to show that you are an ally and that you 
favor transgender people over making your like you know great aunt a little bit uncomfortable because of her sudden commitment to women's fairness fairness in women's sports <laughs> and i think that goes for when we're with our students as well absolutely yeah. i mean you know you really don't know who's transgender and like don't make any assumptions that you're that anyone that you're interacting with isn't because you don't know you know you really don't and like yeah so that's why it's nice that to have representation in your materials because then kids can see that you're inclusive of all people and maybe you're someone that they can trust um you know it's it's one of those things where like if you show someone a little bit of representation they might take that as an invitation to share things with you that are, are going to ultimately lead to saving their life because they've been holding it in and it's, you know, like there, there are little things that we can give people to show them our allyship that really does change the course of their, of their lives. Um, You know, just showing that there's one person out there who supports them, even if they can't come out at home, like Mm -hmm. who talks normally about transgender people, um, you know, like just, who who doesn't say anything weird when they're presenting a picture of a bunch of people and one of them is, you know, Laverne Cox doesn't mention that she's trans, just talks about uh, like, she's a famous actress, like just having even just one interaction like that in front of someone can be, can be totally can change the course of their life because they realize like, maybe there's more people out there who aren't going to be disparaging toward me. Like you were talking about your autistic students um, feeling negatively about their identities. I mean, transgender people are feeling that as well. Um, And, you know, that's drilled into everyone that like, these are things you don't want to be, you know, you don't want anyone to think you're strange in any way, be that a neurotype or a gender. Like, and I think that everyone should just be how they are. Do you have any suggestions for where to find representative materials? Any places um, well, that, um, other than just I, making our own? <laughs> you can make your own. Um, um, Joram Speech makes a um, a nice like pronoun deck, and they have nice cards that are like, "Oh, hey, that looks like me," and it's you know pictures of black people that actually look like black people, not white people colored in black um, skin tone. Um, it has, um, those are cute materials, but also if you want to buy from a black owned business, um, having our say, um, is, a, a literacy and material shop run by, um, Shantae. Um, Ooh, I don't remember her last name. Oh no. Um, it's escaping me. Um, but she's awesome. She's a part of bright ideas media as well. Um, those materials are wonderful. Um, Nikki Kenjin, who, um, is on um, Teach Speech 365 on TPT, on Teachers Paid Teachers. Um, she has some really nice stuff um, there. Um, and those latter two are less expensive than Purim. If you're, you know, feeling like that's a stretch for you, I understand that people, uh, Teachers Paid Teachers is a lot less um, expensive. Um, yeah. And um, those are three people off the top of my head, but like there's some really good stuff out there. You just have to look for it, with, like using the right lens. Um, you know, and you'll find it. Um, but ordering from those big, you know, catalogs of yesteryear um, is definitely 
um, something we should we should reexamine until you know all <laughs> materials are actually representative. Don't just look for things that are representative of um, you know mixed race families and and gender diversity and things like that, but also make sure that you're looking for size inclusion um, and you know disability inclusion in a realistic looking way. Um, all those types of things because all of that is important. You know. Um, it's really nice to start seeing like cartoon visual depictions and materials of autistic people. Um, you know, people who are wearing, uh, maybe they'll be wearing the sunflower lanyard and they'll have like um, noise canceling headphones on. So like you can tell, um, or carrying a stim toy. Um, I understand that those are stereotypes and, you know, a, a caricature is one thing, but it's also representation. Um, and that's what these cartoon materials really, you know, are. They're supposed to represent us. So um, it can be like that, but it's also really, I don't know. I feel like it's really refreshing to start seeing these surface. Mm-hmm. Use them. Yeah. Yeah. So the more we it? support them, the more that it will grow. Yep. <clears throat> exactly. Oh yeah. And so how, how can people reach out to you if they want to connect and, and learn more about the credit Institute and everything that you're doing? So the credit Institute is if you want lots of ASHA CEUs um, or graduate credits, um, it's the, an intersectional cultural responsiveness training platform um, that um, we developed an anti-bias curriculum for speech language pathologists. Also, any of you listening are, are um, you know, academics. I know that um, I've, we've made our way into a lot of academic departments so that people can understand really how to, to teach um, DEI topics because of those standards. The CAA standards say it has to be infused throughout the curriculum, but how can you do that if you don't know about it within your your specialty area? Um, mm-hmm. And so we kind of have a curriculum designed around that. It's really cool. Um, you can choose your own price point. There's no gatekeeping there. Um, and if you want a scholarship, you can email me. Um, my email address is acgoldberg at gmail.com. But there's also contact me is on all my websites. Um, and the credit institute is the creditsinstitute.org. Um, and I also have one that's acgoldberg.com that'll take you there. Wonderful. Well, AC, thank you for joining us and, and best of luck with everything you're doing. And you do have to come back because I feel like we could go another two hours talking about these issues. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. It's been really awesome. And it was really nice meeting you. Yeah, it was good meeting you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you, AC, for such a great conversation about what we as speech language pathologists or really any of us working with others, with individuals, children or adults, what we need to think about, especially those who are transgender, how we should interact, how we should make them feel more comfortable. And I truly believe that we need to do better in most cases. I readily agree. Things are changing. New ways of communicating. New expectations are out there. And we all need to do a really good job of making sure we stay informed. And uh, make sure that our patients can feel and know that they are are accepted and and are going to be treated uh, the way they should be treated in any clinical situation. So thank you again, AC, for joining us. And uh, please go 
over to the Credit Institute and take a look at all of the materials and trainings that they have. I think you'll be very, very impressed. And with that, thank you again for joining us on this episode. I'm going to recruit you. So please, if you have some content you'd like to create, uh, such as webinars or courses or podcasts or blogs that you'd like to write uh, on different clinical topics, maybe, please reach out to me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3C Digital Media Network, the number three, the letter C, digitalmedianetwork.com. And let me know what you're thinking and we can set up a time to chat because I would love to work with you and be able to add your ideas, your knowledge, your expertise to our 3C platform. And uh, maybe you can make a little money in uh, as a part of that too. So that's always good too. So uh, again, thank you for listening and supporting what we've been doing here on Telepractice Today for 195 episodes. We're getting close to that 200th episode, which is going to be very special. We're going to invite um, a few colleagues to join us uh, on that episode, and uh, we're looking forward to that. So until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.